0: Did you know that in 2010, there were 26 versions of Viagra on the market for men and zero for women? And one of those male enhancement drug companies, Slate Pharmaceuticals, was owned by a woman, today's woman of impact. But this is just the beginning to her story. She watched as an exciting potential breakthrough drug for women that was on the verge of being discovered was hitting a roadblock with the FDA. And as a result, the women participating in the trials, whose lives and relationships have been tremendously transformed, had to give the drug back. These women, distraught and heartbroken, became a beacon for women suffering from hypoactive sexual desire disorder, women who have no biological urge for sex whatsoever. A disorder that a whopping 10% of women suffer from. That's one out of 10 women this reality was too tragic to deny and so today's guest womaned up put on her pink gloves and stepped into the ring round one ding ding she sells her very successful business slate and just one day later co-founded sprout pharmaceuticals they then purchase and save the female drug from the company that was going to shelve it round two the drug Addy goes into trials now, less than 1,000 patients, on average, are required for drug approval. Addie had 11,000 conducted. K.O.? I don't think so. The FDA still denied it. Round three, ding-ding! Realising there was a lack of empathy for what these women were going through, she started a public conversation with some of the world's leading women's health and women's rights advocates. Empathy changed the game, and they got the drug approved. Uppercut landed. Round four. Wanting to create global impact on women across the world and be broadly and affordably accessible, she sold the company for $1 billion. That's with a B. K O, baby. Now, holding the belt as founder and CEO of Pink Ceiling, an investment firm and consulting enterprise nicknamed the Pinkubator, this self-made pink-bearing, stiletto-strapping badass is smashing the pink ceiling by putting her creativity, contacts, and cash to work by investing in, launching, and building groundbreaking businesses by women or for women. So please, Help me in welcoming the woman behind the product the New York Times called the drug of a generation and what Jimmy Kimmel referred to as magic mic in a bottle, <laughs> and the woman who Fortune magazine called a tireless force of nature, the unapologetically pink Cindy Eckert. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> what well, in <laughs> an incredible introduction. Thank you. So, where to
1: start? Oh my God, where do we begin? All right.
0: So, where I want to start, yes. is. Talk to me about the problem that women are facing because I had no idea when I saw 10%, I was like, that is so crazy. How are people not shouting that from the rooftops? So talk to me about the actual issue that women are facing and then how you actually came about um, seeing it because you had a company that was literally doing the same thing for men.
1: Sure. So, you know, it is so common. So it's affecting our girlfriends, our neighbors, and you're right, no one's talking about it. One out of 10 couples is suffering from this. And we knew that- I love that that you said couples, by by the way. Truly, because it's not just affecting the woman who is certainly losing her sense of self, but so often she's losing the relationship over this Mm. issue because how do you not take it personally as the partner if someone is never interested in sex? But lo and behold, it's something going on in their brain. And that's what really ignited me. There are brain scan studies after brain scan studies that showed this fundamental difference. So for 10% of women, They had desire they were once happy with, it changed, that change has been persistent, and they care. They wanna do something about it. It's really taking away their sense of self. It's, you know, what's going wrong in the bedroom is now going wrong over the breakfast table. It's really, you know, destroying that connection, if you will, in the relationship. And so how the hell can we know from brain scans that this is a biological issue for women and yet still be patting them on the shoulder, telling them to take a bubble bath, or have a glass of wine. It was so dismissive to its core, which I knew because I'm sitting in the seat of having you know, one of the male drugs, where we readily accept that if something's going wrong for a man, it's biological. Mm-hmm. And uh, women bring biology into the bedroom too. So here's what happens. We need this balance of excitement and inhibition to respond to sexual cues. And for some reason, again for one in ten it will go off kilter. Mm -hmm. We don't know why it could be post-childbirth and even though your hormones have normalized something has been disrupted it could be long-term use of birth control medication there's a variety of sort of speculations out Mm -hmm. there and so for um, for those women this drug works by restoring that balance reawakening if you will that naturally wired instinct to want to have sex.
0: Right okay so how did then the drug come
1: about how yes. did it how did it come about and how did you first hear about yeah. it and then want to get involved so i was i had this company with men and here i was like you know i had gone through this horrible early days of startup and all of a sudden it was you know going we were high flying doing so well and i would go to these meetings there's actually a sexual medicine society I like to tell people I'm a (laughs) card-carrying member, it makes me popular at cocktail parties, but it is a collection of the best researchers in the space who research both men and women alike, and I was a spectator to the science. You know, I'm running this company, going to these conferences, all of this new data is being presented in terms of our understanding of what unlocks desire for women, it's in the brain, and I'm cheering it on, like finally, finally we're gonna have our first. And then I went to a meeting in 2010, the Sexual Medicine Society, And if you had taken the temperature of the room, everything had changed. All of that enthusiasm in the clinical community, just like the the air left the room. And it's because the company that was innovating the science hit a roadblock with the FDA Mm. and made a decision to walk away, which was unheard of. The science was spectacular. What became so clear to me is they weren't walking away on the basis of science, they were walking away because the hurdle felt too high. We have so many deeply held beliefs about female sexuality, they thought they would never cut through and that just did not make sense to me. And so I watched you know, women who had been in these trials, the impact it had mm-hmm. had on their lives and I went and spent time just talking to them and after a year of doing that, I said, by God, if I'm going to listen to them and hear their stories, so too is everybody else. So I sold off my business and men to take this on.
0: okay so let's dive deep into
1: that you had a successful business oh it was so awful my i said it to my board the first time and the board was like no chance no chance and i said if we don't do it no one's going to do it and here's the sad part in healthcare three percent of ceos are women and i felt like i had this incredible privilege Mm -hmm. that women would share this story they were opening if you will the doors of their bedroom and sharing their most personal struggles with me. And I had to do something about it. I couldn't sit in the face of black and white scientific evidence and let an entire industry walk away from it and ignore women. And I think in many ways it chose me. Um, and so for that, I had so much responsibility in it. But it was crazy. Like I was taking a business that was had finally gotten out of the you know this version of startup it was on the right uh, ramp if you will it was successful and I was selling it to take on something that was a hundred percent win or lose so okay
0: there's one thing to leave a successful company yeah. so I'm gonna try this new venture yeah. like my heart really wants it sure. I feel like it's chosen me all of sure. that and it's another thing to say I'm gonna take on the FDA <laughs> like I've heard of Roblox, girl, but like that's... It was epic, yes. and so I'm sure, in
1: fact, were there people that were like, you're crazy, what are you doing? Of course, Uh, of course. And yet yet again, I think the right path was just so obvious Mm. that I had to take it. So, you know, I had gotten this drug and I'd sat down with the agency and the the good news is there was already a roadmap because they'd given feedback to this company that innovated Mm. the science. And so I had exactly what I needed to do. I went out, I did the work, I met all of the outcomes. I just waited, thinking, okay, well, here it is. Like, I'm getting ready, I'm gonna launch this, I'm getting an approval, and then they denied it. And that was a a really bad Friday. Truly, I got the news, I had um, just flown back in, I got this news. And I can remember, I sat down in an airport and I think I didn't move for, for two hours. And it was because what am I gonna say to my team who've put you know, blood, sweat, and tears into this, who bet on me, it was game over. They controlled my fate. And so what do, I, what do you do? The FDA said no. And I can remember going into the company admitting that I had none of the answers. I didn't know what we were going to do. Um, You know, I think everybody went home sort of thinking I better polish off the resume over the weekend. I went home and cried it out uh, in the bed. And the next morning I woke up and I went back to my inbox and I read email after email after email from women who had the condition, who knew I was doing this, who were saying, please don't give up on us. Thank you for fighting the fight. Thank you for letting me know I'm not alone. And I was reminded all over again what it was all about. On Monday, I went in and I said, we're going to dispute the FDA. I think the, I think the company probably thought I was crazy. Right. Many of my team thought I was crazy. And yet they knew that, you know, it wasn't deep injustice. We had the scientific evidence, but what we had was sort of a mental roadblock, if you will, mm. and they needed to listen to the women as well.
0: Yeah there's something about that conviction in people yeah. that even when they're told no. Yes. So like the FDA rejects you, Sure. There's a certain conviction, right? Mm-hmm. That in you we're like no, I'm just not going to accept it. And I I really want to highlight that because I think that's where people stop. But mm. it's like it's the FDA, what am mm-hmm. I going to do? Right? Right? And it's like, well, you keep going. You keep yeah. um you know um fighting it. Yeah.
1: Did you actually think you would win? Or was it like, I'm going to take this until I cannot take it any further? I thought that I would take it to the mat. Win or lose, I was going all the way, all the way. And actually, the day before we got our verdict, if you will, we had this big public meeting and they were going to vote on our data and make a recommendation to the FDA, I threw a victory party. And the chairman of my board thought I was crazy. He's like, Well, how are you declaring victory? Like we haven't even gone into battle. And I said, We have already won because we are we're leaving it all on the floor.
0: Have you always been like that? Or
1: has that been an evolution in your character as you've like had more experiences? I, you know, um I think that I'm I'm fueled by injustice. And that probably started from when I was a little girl. Okay. Like if there's something that is not right. If there's an unwritten rule that makes no sense, you break it or you push back as to why, why, why. Um, So I think that's been hardwired for a long time. But you know, in truth, what was so remarkable to me and the real gift to me in doing that, which I don't know that I knew, is I think when you choose the road less traveled, you'll be surprised at who comes and walks alongside of you. And the biggest leaders and women's rights and women's health started to surround me and walk by me and I mean I feel like I got the most incredible lesson at the hands of greats. Wow, um,
0: that's awesome. Okay so you've got the drug, yes. you get it approved yes. um, and so then you sell the company. Yes. So I assume you didn't think when you were starting it that it would ever be as successful I guess as it was but When you went to sell the company, was that a hard decision for
1: you to make? You know, I think you're always reluctant to give up your baby. You should always be very reluctant to give up your baby because you have imagined how it's going to grow up in this world and everything else. What happened was if you looked at the sequence, so we got denied, I fought them. Um, They, to their credit, opened their doors and had a very public conversation and put women at the center of the conversation. That's who we should have been talking to the whole time, the women who were actually living with this to make value judgments on benefit-risk, if you will. So they put women at the center of the conversation. They then assemble scientific experts to weigh in and make a recommendation, this is the FDA. And when we had that meeting and the experts voted overwhelmingly that they would approve the drug, it still wasn't done. The FDA takes that under advisement. But at that moment, all the big companies were like, oh my God, they're going to do it. Like what? No, this tiny little company, if you will, uh, by this woman in pink is going to actually do what none of us have been able to do. And so that's when they came calling. So I didn't go looking, mm. they came calling. And they knew that the FDA would take that advice and, and most likely approve on the basis of that vote. And when they came in, I think what compelled me, and this has always been important to me, it sold one business before, is they were going to keep the team. Mm. Because what I know is it's really the people. Right? It's always the people and why they're doing it and how deeply they care about the conviction as you said. And so the, the partner, if you will, or the, the acquirer who emerged the victor of the many suitors was the one who was going to keep the entire team, um, who was going to help us march it across the globe way quicker than we could have by setting up all these affiliates in every other country. They were going to make it more affordable than we could have on our, you know, sort of resources. And so that sounded like a real win. But lo and behold, the story doesn't go that way. Um, They hit their own, you know, they had their own business turmoil not long after our deal closed. And it was the last thing in, their business was sort of going crazy, and they literally just pushed me I like to say they invited me to leave (laughs) they invited me to leave (laughs) and then they got rid of the rest of my team within three months and that was crushing that was truly crushing when they got rid of me um, you know when their business was going sideways they sort of left me on an island they weren't really communicating with me and I'm mama bear and I'm pissed (laughs) so I am just constantly like, I want information, I want information. And so the fact that, you know, we had a conflict isn't so surprising. And I did have to check myself. Like, you know, I'm a founder. I get it, like how um, we're very emotionally tied. They bought the business. And if they need to have one of their own champions in charge, it's okay, because at least my team is there. And my team will get it right. And so I think I tried Mm. to step to the sideline and sort of cheer it on. And then when they dismantled my whole team, that was just a crushing blow. Okay, so much good stuff there. And
0: <laughs> the story doesn't even end there, guys, so keep, <laughs> keep listening. Um, there's actually one thing that you mentioned that I yeah. want to jump back to quickly, is you said, oh, well, you know, the, the, the little lady in pink. Mm. How much do you think that that served you and hasn't served you. Mm. So you're not what people expect when you say like, founder, I mean it's what at this point 1.5 billion if two of your companies are sold for um, cumulatively, which is insane. (laughs) And you just don't think that you're gonna find this young, Mm. perky, you know, woman who's got personality dresses (laughs) in pink and loves the pink. So has that served you and how
1: has it not served you? Mm. Well, look, I think in the early days, not fitting in, like not fitting what we believe to be walking into the room, that absolutely worked against me. Um, I wasn't expected in the rooms. I showed up in the boardrooms. I didn't look the part, so to speak. And yet, it was very po- underestimation is powerful fuel. Really? It really is. And so there was a, a c- critical sort of switch to me from underestimated to unapologetic. And that's really pink. I mean, pink for me, I say unapologetically pink, and that's really that switch. And it became a little bit of fun that I expected to be underestimated. I think once I reset the expectations in my mind that when I walked in, like, that's probably how this is going to play out, it was a pretty cool invitation to surprise people. So it's almost like you lent into it more. Yes. Yep. I agree. And I talk, to, I talk to female founders about this all the time. I think what happens is you walk into a room and if you have that kind of reception, um, you feel like you don't fit, you've got two choices. You're either going to reel back in frustration mm. or you're going to harness it to propel you forward. And for me, I harnessed it and went right toward it. It's why I showed up in hot pink. People used to say, oh, the little pink pill. That's so cute. And I thought, Mike, God, like that's so dismissive Mm. at its core and yet instructive to me because that's the conversation we need to be having, so why don't I just show up in blazing hot pink and let's talk about it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, because
0: people, I don't know why, but you know, psychology, I'm sure someone at home has an answer, but that people will see the the fun spirit that you have, the energy, and your mind doesn't go to you know, serious, serious mm-hmm. pharmaceutical company, sure. CEO, like yeah. it just doesn't. And that's terrible mm-hmm. that even my mind doesn't necessarily yeah. go straight there. But I love that you're breaking ground mm-hmm. now. Um, and I actually, just from my perspective, it's, it has definitely been your strength, and especially in this space, I yeah. think, where women have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. to talk about their sexual problems. No question. So the fact that you have this aura about you oh, that you. I think allows women to be open. So in fact, like, do you think that you would have gotten where you did, um, you said the FDA opened the doors to sure. women to telling their stories. Do you think that that would have happened if you hadn't come in with a more empathetic, down-to-earth
1: oh, no. um, vibe about you? Absolutely not. I mean, I think that to its core, like, you know, we're so data driven and I talk a lot about like we, now the world is run by spreadsheet and you know, that it all goes down to that, but data is informed very differently through the lens of empathy. Mm. And I think that when we got out of our own way and just listened, you know, it's it's benefit risk. I always come back to that because that's truly the decision that's being made in medicine. And it sounds like very objective, benefit risk, and yet it's totally subjective because if I assign no value to something, then any risk would be too great. And we were assigning no value to what this meant in women's lives. Like, oh, do women really need to have more sex? People used to say to me all the time, oh, Cindy, come on, you're such a crusader. Nobody's going to lose their life from this. And I would say, go talk to them because they're losing their life as they know it. It's part of who they are. It's part of how they feel about themselves, as they show up in this world. And um and so that um, that listening, I think, is a is a female strength. And I think then the stubbornness <laughs> that demanded that others listen to was the magical, if you will, um, combination to open the doors of the FDA. We had the largest public meetings. Can you imagine? I mean, women flew in from you know across the country. They arranged for child care to get off of work and they went to a federal agency and talked about what was going on in their bedrooms and that was bravery at its finest and I think women who rise to the occasion to say like if not me then who and I'm going to break this down Mm. for other women. And is that when um, they have
0: problems with it, they they kind of
1: push you aside, they push your team aside and then? And then, well then I have to tell you I had to sit and go well my work's not done. Like, I've had this unbelievable lesson, and so what am I going to do? I'm certainly not going to go and sit on a beach. <laughs> that is that is not what all of this has taught me, and, uh, and so I started The Pink Ceiling, and The Pink Ceiling um, was about investing in other female founders who'd faced those same moments of underestimation as I had, who weren't getting access to venture capital, as well as were probably creating products that the conventional mindset sitting across the table couldn't connect with Mm. and so started doing that but in the meantime um, and the whole time was really chipping away behind the scenes at the company that bought the product who wasn't doing anything with it and we fought so hard for women to finally have access and now they're going to put it on the shelf and so I can remember I went in the first time and I said you're not going to do anything with it just give it back to which they said (laughs) ha ha ha. (laughs) <laughs> like we paid you a billion dollars like go away. Yeah. And then the conversation sort of evolved and I said, "Yes, but you made commitments in a very specific contract with performance obligations and you're not doing any of those things." So I sued them and I got it back. I kept the billion dollars I but I got it back so for much. free. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's so incredible. <laughs>
0: so a um what gave you the balls yeah. to say, I want it back, and I'm not going to give you the money back. Yeah. Like, that's so bold. I love it in so many
1: ways, but it's so bold. A deal is a deal, right? A deal is a deal. And they made a commitment to me of what they were going to do, and they agreed to these terms of the deal. I mean, this was had has extraordinary market value, mm-hmm. no question, because of the number of women that are affected. It's the first. It's the only. Um, And it's just shameful and something that's patent protected breakthrough to do nothing with it. Um, Typically, you sell a business and you get some kind of money up front Mm -hmm. and then there's probably some kind of structure on the back end. You might get royalties, you might get milestones, whatever that may be. So the first time I did a deal, I got money up front and then I had this payout and the payout was governed by like classic legal boilerplate language, mm. a best efforts clause. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Your version of best efforts and my version of best efforts are different. Yeah. But that's the, that's the deal I wrote. But eyes wide open when I went into selling my second business, okay, I get money up front, now you're gonna do these additional things, but let's be really specific about what you're doing. And so that is really, you know, it was only because I had goofed, if you will, on the first one that I knew uh, enough to get it right the second time. And that's why the company came back. Yeah. So, so you've got the drug back yes. now. Um, what's the next step? Okay, so we've launched it. I'm so excited. Um, it's on the market. Women can get it and we have, you know, if there's, a, if there's a silver lining, I like to say if there's a pink lining. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a pink lining to this story, when I mm. sat back for a few years, the world has continued to evolve. Our conversation as women mm. has continued to become more open and everything else. And it's really a pretty cool and different moment in time. So we did a few things differently. I think beyond finally getting women access to it, we also decided, like, let's be disruptive. Like, why am I in an industry that gets forgiven for having no imagination. Mm. Um, and so we cut the price in half. Radical move in pharma, but the right thing to do. So now insurers are covering it, which is great for That's women amazing. just as they've covered for men. We we give it away the first two months to women, try it on us, see how it works. Oh. If You know, if it doesn't, great. If it does, super, and then it's only $25 a month. That's very sort of different in my in my industry. And we imagined a path where Still to this day, women, some women, won't wanna say this to their physician. They won't wanna bring it up. We have so much shame Mm. and stigma. So we approached some of the telemedicine companies and said, you know, I have a hunch that women would like to have this conversation from the comfort of their home, from the Mm. safety of their couch, if you will, and have it delivered to their doorstep as opposed to going standing in Walgreens and having somebody call your name. And so they agreed. And I think those things are all equally exciting to me because we're reimagining an industry as well.
0: Yeah, you, you. as you're talking, I'm like, you're the right person for this. Um, it needs to be a woman that has empathy, that understands what it's like to understand the psychology of what a woman's yeah. going through with the condition as it
1: pertains to their whole life and not just like sex itself. Yes, for sure. Well, look, I can imagine it from my own perspective. How do I want to go through this experience? How am I, you know, as the consumer wanting to have this conversation discreetly, have the convenience of not waiting 29 days to get into my doctor to bring Mm -hmm. it up and maybe psych myself out from having the nerve to do it. No woman goes into her physicians like "Mm, I have sex, two times a week, I want it four times a week. Like, it's not what drives this. It's about never having that interest that you once had and the the really, like, innate um, hunger for sex that we're wired with biologically. And really, women who have it describe it as the light switch going out. Mm. And when it goes out, they don't only lose out on, you know, events, if, if you will, they lose out on that connection and whether it be just themselves and the self-confidence, moxie, uh, if you will, but also obviously in their relationships.
0: That's such a big thing that I don't think people talk m- enough about. No is question. that whether you're, you know, f- having sex with your partner, how that makes you feel, yeah. how that pertains to then confidence that you take into work
1: or with sure. your family or with your kids or in school or whatever you do. Yeah. Um, we don't talk about it enough. Mm-mm. I know, you know, I think it's, and sexuality is part of the human experience for most of us, it really yeah. is, and yet I think we sit and just imagine like, am I different, is this normal, mm-hmm. whatever that may be, um, as opposed to really having a conversation about a right to desire, mm-hmm. it, particularly for women, because if you imagine the sexual revolution, It's like, wow, you know, with the birth control pill, now we had this entire discussion about ownership and reproductive rights, and then eh, we stopped there. (laughs) How do we stop there? And I would argue that part of the problem, why we swirl around that so much, and we advance and we go back and we advance and we go back, is we never owned, like, evolving it to a discussion around satisfaction, Mm. which is really the full conversation about sexuality. And for me, you know, aspirationally, if I think about the conversations that are had in your physician's office, from even a young, younger age, sexually active, they're probably gonna ask you a couple questions. Are you sexually active? Do you want birth control? Do you wanna be tested for STDs? And if we would add one question and say, and are you satisfied? Oh, I love that. It's so simple, but we'd open so up right. this dialogue and it's so simple to add one question and have women have permission to talk about this aspect of it and to talk about it not only with their trusted providers but with each other and importantly with their partners. Mm. Be very open about it. Why do you think that the FDA pushed
0: so hard back? looking at what you had to go through with the trials, you had to do, I mean, 11 times more Uh, studies in um, an average drug.
1: Why do you think it was pushed back so much? Ooh, I think that this is um, intimidating to this, to sort of the social fabric. You know, I think a very powerful woman is inherently sort of scary. And I really think that runs very deep. And I think for the FDA in particular, um, if I look at women's health in general, we, we want the FDA to be there to protect safety. A hundred percent, right? If there's a showstopper, like it is my obligation to rigorously test my medication and, and tell a consumer all the benefits and all the risks, right? Characterize those, but when we know that we owe it to patients to turn that decision over to them and their healthcare provider mm. and we've done that 26 times for men. We've looked at like all drugs have risks and we looked at risk profiles that are pretty intimidating and still said, yes, but it's your call. But with women, we very often make that call for them. We don't turn over that decision to her and our healthcare provider. We make this value judgment, if you will, on her behalf and we hide behind, yes, but we're protecting her. Mm. And you know, you've gotta be very careful. Like, yes, we want our safety protected, but we don't want our choices edited. I mean, the conversations behind closed doors would make the hair on the back of your neck stand on end. Like because people s- admit the things sort of of well, how do they need to have more sex? Like, do we need? And because you actually had someone say that to yeah, you, right? Yes. Like, isn't it like do we oh, need the, a bunch of horny women right, running yeah, around? Yeah, yeah. Oh Which is God. incredible, but very revealing in yeah. terms of where they're coming at it. Um, you know, from their own belief system, we all have a point of view mm. about sex, and we impose that point of view on others. I had a um, reporter along the way, and she had read a report from a woman that was in our trials, and she was very cynical about it. And I can remember she was she was calling around. She was talking to some of the advocates in DC. They called me, and they said she's writing like this terrible story. And I called her, and I said, are you going to even give me a chance? Like, are you going to even ask me a question? She's like, fine. All right. I read this story about this woman who is in your trials, and, you know, she said, come on. Like, who are these women who want to have sex all the time? She said, I'm 36 years old. I have a toddler at home sometimes my husband wants to have sex. I want to eat a burrito, (laughs) which of course made me, I had to like her, right? Because it was funny and so relatable. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, of course I get it. Like the honey, not tonight, normal ebb and flow of desire. But have you ever considered that that's your normal? And that for some women, it would be a luxury to say honey, not tonight. Have you ever considered that you're imposing that on them? And she said, Well, I mean, and she started to sort of think about it. And I thought, what's a parallel that she'd understand? And there's so many parallels to me in this with sort of the early days of depression or some of those other stigmatized Mm -hmm. conditions. And I said, I'll ask you the question differently. Do you have any girlfriends on antidepressants? I knew what her answer would be. And she said, of course. And I said, you know, do you ever say to them, like, hey, life's hard. Suck it up. She was so offended, absolutely not. I said, why don't you say it? Well, because like it's a medical condition. And, And I said, exactly. And so too will this story go for these women. And that was like a really key kind of turning point for me. But it was interesting, like here she was, you know, a brilliant woman, a great writer, very supportive of sort of women's issues. And yet even she had an aha moment of how she was imposing on other women. Like her own, mm-hmm. sort of her own normal, if you will. I love that you just, you go into a space
0: and it's kind of like, you just speak their language. Mm. Um is that something that you had to learn? Because you don't go in like a bull in a china shop, mm. right? Like, I have every right to say this. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. like, you don't do that. You you really do shift yourself in all of your stories yeah. that I'm sitting here listening to. It's how do I get through to them? How do I speak the language that they mm-hmm. can hear so they can understand, so I can make this, yeah. um, you know, this, oh, this improvement or this change? Thank you. Um, is that natural for you? And um, if someone is a bull in a china shop? Yeah. How can they somewhat yeah. turn it around to, because what I love about your stories yeah. is they always end with you winning, yeah. right? <laughs> like, crazy. it's like you convince the journalist, you've got your billion dollars, like, uh, yeah. it's like but it's always from yeah. a place of knowing how to speak their language. Well,
1: I think, you know, the truth is, I. it's important for me to listen and it was important to me to hear what she said so I think I approach all of these circumstances with an idea that like it's very interesting to hear their perspective and if I disagree to challenge it and to you know talk about it in a very open and honest way I think that that's the formula I hope that it's win-win that it's not I win they lose that it's really a win-win but I think that like my responsibility in that circumstance is to hear her out and then hopefully if she's an open-minded individual she'll hear me out and then we'll find the common ground if you will it's so that's people say like what was the secret how did you it it is so I listened yeah I listened to women who had it I thought if I listened others should listen Mm -hmm. Um, you know I listened to the critics I met with them as much as I met with the supporters because it was interesting what they had to say, I think I shared with you and I first, I made this like sort of radical decision to sell off this lucrative business in men and you know take it on for women. And I was feeling like really excited and, and sort of proud of myself for having done that yeah. um, and forced my board to agree to it and everything else. And I was in a room full of women who I greatly admire. didn't know them very well, but they're sort of heroes, if you will, and, um, for women. and. I remember saying what I was gonna do. And if you had taken like an aerial shot of that room, the whole room moved away from me. Oh, And I thought, whoa, <laughs> like this is the room of women who I would have thought be like, yeah, like we deserve one finally. Oh. And that was so instructive to me. Mm-hmm. So like you can take it as a setback, if mm-hmm. you will, or erode your confidence, I think if you just listen it's going to help you sort of set the right course, and for me, what happened out of that is I thought, okay, why did that happen? I talked to them about what they were feeling about it. This was a group of women who were very protective over like any imposition of idyllic sexuality. Hmm. Like, oh God, now we're going to say, like take a pill and you're going to be a sex kitten. like. Uh, Samantha from Sex and the City all the time. And people used to say to me, oh, she should be, you know, that's who your spokesperson is. I'm like, no way. Like, this is women on her own terms, whatever her normal is. Um, but that moment, it was sort of like, I look back and I'm so grateful for it because as I submitted all my data to the FDA and I'd met all my endpoints and I was just waiting to get approved, I went knocking like Elwood style, you know, mm-hmm. through DC, knocking on the doors of these brilliant like women's groups, rights groups, health groups, just to introduce myself and say, Mm -hmm. here's who I am, here's what this is, this is the research, like I'm an open book. Any data that you want, I just want you to understand what we're trying to do because of that one moment in a room and I Mm -hmm. did that thinking, okay, I'm getting to approval and when the FDA turned me down, all of that, actually came to be the saving grace because they were so educated at that point on the issue that I started asking, I I said I'm going to fight it and then they started asking critical questions alongside of me and it really was because of, I think, paying attention to why people said something in a room and caring why they said it. Right.
0: I'm nodding so much my head's (laughs) going to fall off. I'd be remiss if we didn't yeah. get a chance to talk about pink yes. Um And the first thing I actually want to touch on is your mission statement, which yeah. is making women rich. Yes. I love that so much <laughs> because women find it very difficult, and I put myself in this category, yeah. especially at the beginning, women don't talk about money.
1: Oh, no, for sure. Women
0: don't talk about wealth creation. Yeah. Women don't talk about wanting to get wealthy. Yep. Um, Talk to me about that and why you
1: put that as your mission statement. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story first yes. about that because you're so right. So, so I sold this company, billion dollars, all of a sudden I'm invited to these you know, wonderful stages <laughs> to tell the story and a woman came up to me, you know, I'd, I'd done a few of these and a woman came up and she said, you know, I just want to say to you, like, I love that you never say that you sold the company for a billion dollars. And literally the next time I got on stage, I said, hi, I'm Cindy Eckert and I sold my last company for a billion dollars. And I thought, I am part of the problem. Like I'm actually not talking about it. And here's what I think. We're in such a cultural conversation about women need a voice. What women need is power and money is power. And I don't mean it in the sense of, you know, set out with money as the only goal. I know no successful people, truly, like truly successful people, they did it for the love of what they were doing and the money came. But if we have money, we get to control the decisions at the other side of the table of what we want to see in this world. And there's no shame in that. And I think that is part of why we switched the mission. And my idea is how do I get other women into this, club that should not be lonely, of women who've gotten to huge exits, of people who've built companies like you have, how do we get them there? And in doing so, not only know that they'll pay it forward, because they will, by all the data, they'll invest in other women, they'll invest in their communities, like the the world will be better for it. But truly by like the system as it exists today, um, they're great investment opportunities for big and, returns. And I love that you're talking about it because more and more
0: women I feel need to be okay with talking about it. Um, you know, the humble brag movement, sure. you know, and mm-hmm. I remember when I first met you, um, we were talking and I said, oh, so tell me a bit about you. And I remember you saying, I have a pharmaceutical company. It's the Viagra for women. I sold it for a billion dollars and you were just so matter of factly. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, I need to get to know this woman <laughs> because there was okay. no... Hesitation in the yeah. way you said it. There was no shyness and mm-hmm. embarrassment in the way you were saying it. And the reason why I say those specific words, shyness, embarrassment, is because those are all the things I have felt on, in um, my journey. Yeah, sure. On like, oh my god, I finally now have you know enough money that I'm going to go to Cartier. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Right, but like I don't talk about it. Right. I, I want to just... show the lovely jewellery that I bought at Cartier, right. but I don't. Um, and I think a big thing is is because i'm worried people will think that that's, that's what it's all that's about that's what it's
1: all about yeah i get it like i said if that's all you're in it for right. i promise you you will not either be wildly successful or wildly happy and i think you got to do it for the love of it but if success is an outcome of it that's a that's a wonderful currency to do not only good things for yourself but great things for others i think it's a responsibility yeah, and you said something earlier. Money is
0: power, and I do think of money as being like power. You can use it for good. You can yes. use it for evil. It is up to the person, for sure. not to the act of having the
1: money it's itself. Right. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, so, for what sure. are the companies you're excited about? You were telling me yes. about some things that you guys have in the works that is so groundbreaking mm. that
1: um, I just want to rally behind it. So please, thank yeah, you. Tell okay, them. I'll tell you yeah. some of my. It's hard to pick my favorite. We have twelve I know. companies now. 12 companies under so the exciting. incubator, but they're, here's, the, here's the construct, so they're usually breakthrough firsts mm-hmm. and they're catalysts in social conversations, they're things that really kind of touch the heart of me and the team because it is the kind of change we want to see. So one that's coming out soon is a flushable pregnancy test, it's called Leah Diagnostics, young founder Bethany uh, and Anna, they're incredible. And it's just so, fa- so Bethany jumped in an Uber with me and pitched me and I loved her from the minute that she did it. But um, basically, I think it begs two questions, which is one, like why does a pregnancy test have to be 80% plastic?
0: Mm.
1: Like why can't it be eco-friendly? It's not doesn't need to be our mother's pregnancy test anymore. And two, and I think this is the really interesting one, is it begs the question of discretion. Like why, in every pregnancy commercial, the only outcome is a smiley face, or the only expected outcome for a woman, you know, is this happy, and so we don't talk about the greater complexity of whether or not that pregnancy is necessarily wanted, and even compassionately, if I'm an infertility patient, of mm. if I don't want to be walk into the bathroom and be reminded that I'm not pregnant again, and so it's really a much more complicated conversation. And I think it's just fascinating how she's tackling it. So I'm really excited about that. That's so cool. Because I'm interested when I get reactions to it, that people are like, oh, wow, what's this? And what's it for? And that they really have their own idea, um, you know, if you will, of what the outcome should be. Mm. So that will be a great one coming this fall. And and then one that's on the market that I am so passionate about, as you know, is a um, technology that if I were to dip my finger in this drink, and touch a decal, in 30 seconds it would let me know if there was a date rape drug in that drink. God, that's so strong. Like, I, you just gave me the chills just now. It's, it's, that's a game changer is. for women. It is. It's a technology that we need. It's po- Everything that we do is about power, if you will, in women's hands in right. some way. It's about
0: taking back the power and yep. owning it yourself. Yep, for sure. Well, speaking of
1: power, what is your superpower? Oh, my superpower! Um, I love that you asked this question. So I had to think about it for a while, and I think really it's about um, seeing the possibilities and things that other people see limitations. <gasps> I, I think it. that's true, and I think it's true really in three ways. I think it is the the products and the causes um, that I take on that are unconventional. Mm-hmm. Typically, I think it's seeing it in people I have the most incredible team and I feel like they were misfits in other environments but there was unbelievable possibility if you brought them somewhere and gave them permission to be themselves Um, so I have a great team and I think the third as I was thinking about it uh, for you was me you know I think seeing the possibility when other people saw limitation in the pink in the you know, what kind of rooms I was going to show up in, what kind of industry I was going to tackle. Um, so I think that's the superpower. That's amazing. I hope, yeah, <laughs> it
0: definitely is,
1: girl, yeah, for thank sure.
0: You. Um, and where can people find you and all of this amazing stuff if they want to keep updates yes. on all the new technology
1: that you're investing in? I hope they'll follow me. So at Cindy Pink CEO. Um, your on instagram all the game is good girl <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun thanks um and then if you want to pitch us it's the pinkceiling.com and if you want to find out more about this national conversation we're having about women having a right to desire it's just right to
0: guys 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 <laughs> i adore this woman like i said i met her a few weeks ago and i've been like begging her to come on the <laughs> show ever since what she is doing is so groundbreaking it really is changing the game for women and so i Oh, I applaud you. Guys, guys, please go follow her. Go check out all the stuff. Like, we just need women to rally around this kind of thing because we need to fix it. It has to change. And the only way to do it is for someone to step up, bring it, um, put a spotlight on it, and then all of us just to rally around it. So please go check her out. If you're not following me, um, follow me at Lisa Billu. And if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, guys, go be pink and be the hero of your own life. Peace out. See. No!
1: no, that was so fun. We could have.